Hello, my name is Steve Pretty. I am a musician, composer and performer from London and welcome to my podcast, Steve Pretty on the Origin of the Pieces. This is the show that sets out to help you to hear and understand music in new ways. Now, last episode, I used my slightly flawed performance at a Remembrance Day service to talk about musical harmonics. And then I talked to the brilliant singer Nicole Cassandra Smith about singing from the head, singing from the chest, singing from the heart, of course, singing from the nose and even singing from the bum. And then, of course, I moved on to discuss the niche genre of death grind with my guest, the comedian and musician Andrew O'Neill. Really interesting deep dive into that niche genre crossover between death metal and hardcore punk. So really, really enjoyed that. And we made a track together, a very, very, very heavy track full of blast beats and growled vocals and all sorts of things. So it's a really mixed episode, all sorts of stuff going on. And this episode is no different. Coming up in today's show, we have a kind of impromptu Norwegian special, in a way. I've been working in Norway since the the last episode was recorded, as I'll talk about a bit more in the show. And so I'm going to have some Norwegian guests introducing you to some new concepts, some new instruments, all sorts of stuff. And then towards the end of the episode, I'm going to be diving into the randomly selected genre of emo pop with an old friend of mine and emo pop fan, Lawrence Francis, who's also very kindly made me an incredible emo pop track with the help of ChatGPT. It's a lot of fun. Stick around. Here we go. But first... As I mentioned earlier, I am working in Norway at the moment. In fact, I'm recording this right now in Oslo on my way back from the project I'm going to talk about shortly. And just a quick shout out to absolutely amazing new library in Oslo right next to the uh, Opera House. I just popped in because the the friend I'm staying with uh, in Oslo mentioned uh, if I needed to do some work, I should come here. And he's not wrong. It's incredible. It's got views over the fjord. There's four or five floors. And the floor I'm on at the moment has got music books, uh, sheet music, CDs. It's got a a turntable if you want to practice your DJing. It's got CDJs. The little place next to where I'm recording this is a, a little mini music studio so that you can go and practice your music production techniques. And this is I'm in a podcast studio. I'm in a dedicated podcast studio, which I didn't know existed until I turned up here. I turned up here. Uh, I realised it was it was going to be free uh, about 10 minutes after I, I discovered it, booked uh, online, and sure enough, here I am, 15 minutes later, recording in an incredibly high-spec podcast studio, completely for free, overlooking the fjord. Oh, my Lord, I love Norway. It is I've worked here a lot. I've been very lucky over the years to work here a lot. And it is honestly one of my favourite places. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm i just delighted to be working here more over the next year or so. So apologies in advance if you hear quite a lot of Norway content over the next year or so. But man, what a place. So, yeah, thank you to the Norwegians for having me and to this amazing library and podcast studio so that I could get some podcast recording done while I was away. 
Now, the main purpose of being away was to work with some young musicians up in northern Norway, so up near the Arctic, a place called Berda, a really beautiful place. Not that we saw much of it because it was only light about two or three hours a day and all of those hours we were working in the studio. We had an amazing studio to work in. Um, I think the BBC apparently set it up uh, back in the 60s and so it's got this cool kind of retro feel but of course kitted out with loads of modern things. And just the thought of working in this studio, which reminded me a bit of BBC Made a Veil, a very cool, large studio that you could maybe even record a small orchestra in. And the the North Norway Jazz Centre, who we were working with on this project, had hired it for us to run essentially an education project, kind of education workshops and masterclasses with these young people. And I just, the thought of that happening in the UK, someone hiring a top-spec recording studio to run an education project, is, let's say, it's a distant dream. Um, So, yeah, it was a really fantastic few days. We were working with young people between the age of, I suppose, about 14, 15 and mid-twenties, something like that. A variety of experience ranging from the less experienced, people who played in their school band, maybe, or a local uh, marching band, that kind of thing, right through to young professionals who are just starting their, their careers. The thing that we set out to do, is myself and my two Hackney Colliery Band colleagues, Ollie and Ed, what we set out to do was to, to give these musicians some sort of creative ownership over what they were doing. I think often as instrumental musicians, as all these people were, I think particularly as uh, brass players, saxophone players, people who play, who've grown up playing classical music, jazz, that kind of thing, it can be quite hard to think in a kind of creative way, to take ownership over the projects that you're doing because so much of music education is focused, understandably, on technique, on getting your technique on the instrument up to a really high level. And that's fantastic. I've talked about that in other contexts on this show. Of course, I support that fully. That's absolutely brilliant. But what's often left behind in that is what I realised when I started playing with rock bands Uh, growing up at school and then especially at university. It's the ability to separate out the kind of creative process from your ability on your instrument. Your ability on your instrument is to do with technique and practice. Your creative ability is also something that needs practice, but that is not necessarily about how great you are on your instrument. It can come from that, but it doesn't need to. And so playing in those rock bands where, you know, sometimes people would be the first to say they're not, they're not the greatest guitar player ever, they're not the greatest drummer ever, they're not the greatest bass player ever. But it doesn't matter because what they're doing is creating music that they want to create, that comes from them, that comes from their influences. And they're not waiting to be the world's greatest guitar player in order to be able to create that music. They're doing it anyway. And I think that's what I always try and bring to these sorts of workshops and masterclasses when I've done them over the years. And especially with this project, we really wanted to give these musicians some ownership over what they were creating. And I think that's what we did. It was a really intense few days. The very first thing we did was talk to everyone Let's remember as well, in a second language for these guys, mind-blowing, they're able to do this in a second language. It will never cease to amaze me. But we talked to them and said, look, we're not really going to use sheet music here. And I knew that this would be controversial because we'd already got quite a few requests from the North Norway Jazz Centre to send through some sheet music of the, of the bands ahead of time so that they could work on it. I sort of said, well, we can do that, but I think really what we want to do is 
you know, is, is get them to write their own music, basically, and to try and do things by ear. And so there were a lot of raised eyebrows and slightly nervous-looking faces when I announced this at the beginning. And then two days later, after a very intense but brilliant couple of days working on new music, on creating a whole set of music that they had written, those same nervous faces, these same teenagers who had never tried making music without sheet music before, they had not only composed the pieces that we were that we were playing, they were standing in front of an ensemble of, of people including, you know, three professional musicians from London and people who might have been older, much more experienced than, than them, and they were directing that music. They were they were conducting it, they had strong opinions about where it should go. And it was really, really inspiring to see that change. Uh, it can be a bit of a cliche sometimes to talk about you know, working with young people being inspiring, but, but this truly was one of those times. I'm just going to throw over to a couple of the participants now who I had a, a chance to grab a quick chat with at the end of the project uh, to, to give a bit of an insight into what we did and some of the different methods of composition. And this might sound a bit niche, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I'm never going to write any music. But do stick with it if you can, because I think there's a bit of an insight here into, into ways of tapping into creativity, into avoiding that blank page syndrome where you're staring at a sheet of paper or you're sitting at a, an instrument and thinking, what, uh, what do I do now? So here we go. I'm going to hand over to those guys. Uh, my name is Edward. I play bass. Uh, my name is Leonard and I play trumpet. Yeah, it's been a lot of improvising, making new stuff, new songs. Yeah, we've been talking about improvisation and how to create music without like a plan or sheet music, just going for, like, for example, a feeling mm-hmm. or a style, and then just jamming and just. Yeah, yeah. At least for me and like for bass guitarists and stuff like that, we don't start with learning notation. It's like just a part of the of the playing in the beginning. You just learn how to improvise and just you have to you just have to do it. Yeah. In a way. As opposed to on on trumpet, have you improvised much, very much before? A little bit. All my training has been classical. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And so we've approached because we split off into small groups. Uh, well, we we started with like finding a style. We wanted to do some funk stuff, and so we just ended up making like a really funk uh, funky thing. Yeah, it's it's not too much to it. That's mm. that's kind of it. And finding the chords was like okay, play whatever note you want. And then we are just going to move it up half steps or whole steps or stuff like that until we find like, oh yeah, that chord, that was great. You know, or move one voice up and mm-hmm. the others down or whatever until we find a good voice. What's the deal? So Interesting. Yeah. And how did that compare with how we worked? I think we, we also started with like finding some styles and just mentioning what sort of influences we wanted to have. Um, and then we close the blinds we, we shut off all the lights and everyone played some notes until we found something we liked we said okay we like it that's a chord that's a chord but why did we close the i mean this was me me uh, doing doing this but why 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 did i why do you think i closed the lights uh, turn the lights off and close the curtains well, we did find the theme about like um, winter and darkness and and that, so it kind of set us in the right headspace to find that. Because we were talking about writing a tune about that was sort of, uh, if not about this area, but you know, it gave, gave a feeling 
of being here, so a kind of musical representation of being in Buddha in uh, in the end of November. And and the words that you guys came out with, if I remember, were cold, uh, dark, <laughs> wet, um, and they were quite they were kind of negative words. But it's a very beautiful place. Um, so, but yeah, and we've had an amazing time here. Um, we wanted to try and represent those things musically, and of course without lyrics, just with just in an abstract way. So I wanted to sort of get insight. Sometimes it's quite helpful when you're creating music to to try and really put yourself in, you know, to get into the zone of it. And because you guys didn't know each other, most of you, and obviously you didn't know me on that first day, and so sometimes it's quite good to just try and imagine yourself out in the uh, in the dark and the cold and the snow and. I was going to take us all outside and do that. That would be too extreme. <laughs> but but yeah, just to try and create that kind of mood because that's what we were trying to go for with those chords, wasn't it? Mm. So I think I guess the point is that what we there's lots of different routes. That's what's been so interesting to me. All the different routes that we've all taken to getting to these three pieces, which are really they're really amazing. These pieces we've got some really incredible moments, and they've they've all come from completely different through completely different methods. Um, some of which were a bit more, you know, a bit more theatrical, turning all the lights out, and 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 some of which were just okay, great. What do we like? Funk. What key do we like? There we go. And but it's still the, the tune that, uh, even though it was very very funky, it was also it's a big epic suite with all sorts of different stuff going on. So yeah, it, you know, it goes in lots of different directions. And again, having composing as a group is is quite challenging to to get it all. Locked in, but I think you guys worked amazingly well together. Everyone suggesting things, and, and um, yeah. But thanks very much. It's been it's been such a pleasure being here, and you guys are all such brilliant creative musicians, which has been uh, really interesting and and very gratifying to work with. So yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. thanks for coming. So thank you very much once again to these uh, brilliant musicians and to the North Norway Jazz Centre. Uh, what a time it has been! And again, I will. Uh, continue to occasionally update on this project as we go through the next year or so because there's a lot more interesting, fun, exciting music to come, some of which you'll have heard while I was talking there. So just to finish this section, I'm just going to let some music that we made this weekend entirely composed by the young people that we worked with and sort of shaped and sculpted by myself and uh, Ollie and Ed from the band. I'm just going to let that play out before we move on because I think it's really special. Here we go. to entertaining noises now reminder that this is the section where it's good to have headphones on if you can because i'm using binaural microphones to record from the musician's perspective so if you've got headphones do chuck them on now if not don't worry it works fine on speakers or in a car or on your smart speaker or wherever you're listening to it that's fine while we were in this amazing studio in burda i had the chance to ask the pianist we were working with a really incredible musician uh, to talk about the piano there was this beautiful grand piano we were working with in the studio. So headphones on, and here we go, deep dive into this beautiful Fazioli grand piano in Burda, Norway. 
Would you mind just telling us who you are and introducing yourself a little bit? Uh, yeah, my, my name is Birk. I'm from Norway, I'm 18. Uh, and I've played piano since I was six. Wow. Yeah. And I mostly play like jazz, improvising stuff. I also like classical a lot. And I'm studying jazz and yeah. having classical lessons on the side in high school ah, and last year now. Nice. Well, we've been working together this weekend on this project and you've brought some amazing, amazing <laughs> things to, to this. Um, and there's this incredible piano here. Yeah, this is a Fasioli, and it's definitely one of the like the better pianos mm. that you can get. What, um, what makes it better? For it's mostly for me as, as the player. It's the feel of like actually playing and the feedback I get. The, the acoustic feedback. From yeah, them. and uh, especially like. A test everyone can do who has an uh, acoustic piano is just to see how low you can play. Like How quietly? Yeah. On the Fasiolis and the Steinways, you, know, you can go really, really low on the best ones and still have that clarity in the sound. So the, what, we, what we as musicians call dynamic range, right? Yeah. So where you can play very, very quietly to very, very loud. And you're saying that on these pianos and Steinways and some other really great pianos, you have an amazing ability to play really quietly and really loud. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Can we just demonstrate that now? Can you just play whatever you like, yeah, a chord yeah. or, or tune or whatever, just maybe going from really something really, really quiet to something really, really loud? Yeah, you just, yeah. I don't know, it, it is going to pick you up. Yeah, but let, me just, you let me just turn this up so you can hear that. Yeah. Um. keeps that it's really rich mm. down there it's, every key has three strings and a lot of pianos don't I don't know why but uh, they don't get like all the full sound of all the strings when playing quietly but this had it Maybe we just go back to basics and explain how the piano works, like what the mechanism of the piano is. Yeah, it's just strings on the inside, here is a, and a hammer. So the key is connected to a kind of lever, right? Yeah. Which, which moves a hammer, which then strikes the strings. Yeah, and then the strings, are, yeah, they're, they're like, they're free almost all the way, and down here it's just one, I think. Yeah. At the, at the base end. It's yeah, because they're so thick. The, the bass rings. Yeah, so if just because obviously people can't see, so up the top they're really thin. They're as thin as maybe thinner than a paper clip. Like yeah, yeah, a thinner. So you can hear them up here, and as you go down and down here, there. This is as thick as like a a big screw that you mm. might screw something into the wall with. So really, really thick down there and really thin up here. And we were talking about the three, <laughs> the three strings. And so the, when the hammer hits the strings, what, what happens then? 
Hmm. Sorry, I know you're doing this in English. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard with, with the words. The dampers, mm-hmm. these. Yeah, so these are little bits of wood. Yeah, with felt on them. With bits of felt underneath, yeah. And these, and and they move up so the strings can resonate. So uh, yeah, when I press it, it moves up yep. right before I hit it. And when I press the, like the right pedal, all of them goes up, so I can play a lot of notes. And they are all sustained. Yeah. So that and that's called, in fact, the sustain pedal, yeah. right? So the very right-hand uh, pedal on a piano. M- most a lot of upright pianos only have two pedals, but there's yeah. a lot of more serious pianos um, and all grands have three, right? Or pretty much all grands yeah. have three. And so that one's called the sustain pedal. So yeah, that lifts all of the felts up. Mm. Could you give us a real something really lush and sustained with with the sustain pedal on? Yeah. That's beautiful. And so that, if you, you took the pedal up, which is why the note stopped, mm-hmm. but if you carried on pressing that down, that would have sustained for. Yeah, ages, for, right? <laughs> for quite long. On these pianos, the pedals are also really precise. Because if I play and then there's, it stops. Yeah. But to get it to like fade out, just without having to wait for really long, you have to really slowly take it off. I see. I see. I see. This pedal is really good because a lot of pianos you have to really like, yeah, fight against it. To so it's like find, on the car, like finding the kind of biting yeah. point of the clutch or the accelerator or whatever. Would you just be able to hold the sustain pedal down? And just so we can see, because all these strings at the moment, with the sustain pedal not pressed, they're all dampened by this felt that mm. we talked about. But without that, so if you lift it up, I'm going to clap and then sing or shout into it, yeah. and you'll hear the whole piano like coming alive. Mm. Right? So. Hey! Hello! So that that's just the piano, the sound of the piano doing that sort of reverb yeah. from all the strings being free to resonate. A way to like hear the overtones in in the piano itself and in the strings is to not use the pedal but just hold them down the keys without the plucking of the string. So the felt of these keys goes up. Mm-hmm. So so when I play other notes, you will hear the overtones of these those strings. Playing. So just sorry to stop you, but just to explain a couple of things. Firstly, what you're doing is holding down your hand across loads of keys yeah. in your left hand. And just to explain what overtones are, on every note, uh, we, we haven't got time to go into this in this particular segment now, but I will mm-hmm. do it in the podcast in future. On every note, the moving air is made up of not just one wave, but lots and lots of waves layered over the top of one another that are kind of in mathematical relationships to one another. So one might be twice, one might be three times, four times, five times, etc. And so when we say overtones, it means that whenever you're hearing a single note, so if you could just play a single note, so that note has got loads of, it's not just one set of waves, it's loads of waves on top of one another. And you can't necessarily hear so much until you do something like you're about to do now. Mm. And the same note. 
without any sustain or anything. It's just those. And you can. It's quite a good tool if you want to make some like, yeah, some textures and stuff. And you can use it to to make chords and to yeah. It's beautiful, yeah. So that's just to reiterate again. You, you're not holding the pedal down there. Mm. You're just holding down those keys with your left hand, but yeah. they're not sounding. They're just mm. letting the felts come off the strings, and then playing with your your right hand and le letting that natural um, the overtones of that note really ring out. Whereas you normally couldn't hear them so much. That's amazing. And the other pedals. So we've got three pedals. Yeah. So uh, the left pedal uh, is to make. It shifts all the keys to the right a little bit, so they don't hit all the strings, the hammers, and that's to make the sound a little bit quieter or softer. Yeah, all the keys move to the right. Let's have a look at that. So you can see the whole keyboard moves slightly to the right. It's quite mad to watch if you don't realise that that's what happens. <laughs> Because yeah, the, all of the black and white notes they all shift slightly. Yeah. Okay. So the sounds get a little bit softer, and yeah. It doesn't only get less also less dynamically, but it also gets softer in, mm -hmm. in texture. And then we have the middle uh, middle. Yeah. It's the it's like the sustain pedal but more advanced. If you hold down a note and then the press press the middle one, that one holds, but the rest of the keys do not. Uh, I, I never played a piece where it's required to use that. It's really really rare. But uh, yeah. Uh. Again, without you can play the same notes again without. Yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're the only felt that's held up. I see, I see, I see. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, really, really, really interesting. Obviously, here we've got a grand piano. Can you ex can you describe what's happening with the with the body of the piano? Because obviously, we've got this big big body of the piano stretching out in front of you and there's different ways of using the lid, right? You can either have it all the way up, like we do now, or you can have it like this half position mm -hmm. or you can have it all the way down. And it's just like when you want a lot of sound or if, if you're playing solo, you we always have it all the way up. But if I'm accompanying someone and I hopefully I can have it like halfway because mm -hmm. that's the best like sound with less volume or um, sometimes I'm 
need to have it all the way down. Yeah, I see, I see. Because the other thing about the lid, this big heavy wooden lid, um, is that it reflects the yeah. sound out, right? So it obviously lets the sound out in general, but it also just reflects the sound out into the room. So it's mm. not the same as taking the lid off, where this, yeah. this, the strings vibrate and the vibrations go up from here and hit the lid here and bounce off into the audience. So it's a kind of acoustic shield reflector. I hear the most. I don't hear so much difference as long as it is open. Mm-hmm. But I, there's definitely a difference when I close things. When it's closed, but I think there would be a big difference if you're in a concert. Yeah, room. and that's why pianos are always set across the stage, right? Mm. So that the sound, sound reflects out. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Well, um, I wonder if just to finish, if I put the lid back up, and if you just want to play whatever you like, just to because I've really enjoyed your playing. Again, <laughs> it's been amazing. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful what was that was that something yeah something I've written wow that's incredible incredible wow keep up the good work man honestly <laughs> blown away absolutely amazing and thank you so much to Birk for for demonstrating that magnificent instrument
Right. So we come to the genre tombola. And you may remember that the genre chosen for me by the random list picker of the 1300 genres on Wikipedia was emo pop. Now, I'm going to hand over to my good friend uh, Lawrence Francis, very old friend of mine from university, to explain why it was that I asked him to get involved when talking about emo pop. So here's Lawrence. My name's Lawrence Francis. I guess I'm a musician. I, I play music as a hobbyist in i've been in various bands over the years some of which have performed with steve some of which haven't um for many many years play the guitar and a bit of singing i think you know you're very modest about oh i'm not you know i'm not sure if i'm a musician and blah blah but i i would say you're definitely a musician you you write songs you play guitar yes. really well and you sing and the reason i got you on today is that you know way more about a lot of the styles and you understand them in a different way yeah i mean i think i think that's that's actually really interesting yeah I, i say i'm not a musician um i've never had any formal music training at all i have learnt by listening to an awful lot of pop indie rock genre music over the years being a a bit of a music nerd i mean as you know one of the other things that i do i run a sort of online music listening discovery group full of music nerds which means that we throughout all of lockdown we forced ourselves to listen to a new album by a new band every single day for three years which was quite intense but i i love listening to new music learning about new music but it's really really non-technical it's about what i like playing and i think the you know talking about kind of emo pop and the genre we're going to talk about is a really good route in of how i got into music, how I started playing music and starting from a really simple place. Mm -hmm. But it's what I like hearing and like listening to. And then what spins out from that rather than the theoretical, which obviously having listened to your previous podcast, there's some quite deep dives into the world of jazz. And mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah, come from a very different perspective on that. So there's this kind of huge WhatsApp group of, as you say, of, of music fans. And when I got allocated by the, uh, the gods of the internet, I got allocated emo pop this week. I was like, I know a group where I can ask who's into emo pop and who can talk to me about emo pop. Yeah. And we, uh, Steve dropped into the group with, does anyone know anything about emo pop? And then five minutes later, there's 40 messages of people discussing <laughs> which band counts, which doesn't, which album is good. What's the, what is the key track from the uh, early 2000s peak period? How I mean, does that reflect on the nineties emergence of emo pop? I mean, Emo is one of those terms that is very broad. It means lots of different things to lots of different people. The, I mean, the origin, the meaning of the word, I believe, is emotional hardcore is where the term emo comes from. Um, but emo pop, as one of the sort of sub-genres, is very much taking away the hardcore element. So <laughs> taking away that kind of screamy, shouty thing. I, I, I think you could very easily argue that it comes from classic rock music. Punk, definitely mm -hmm. punk elements. And some people would use the term pop punk, I think, interchangeably with, with emo and emo pop. But I'd say there are differences. Um, and definitely a big inspiration is kind of grunge movement and music from the early 90s of Nirvana and that kind of thing, um, which has, a you know, the very simple kind of mm -hmm. structures and the loud, quiet dynamics that you get in that kind of music. The best way to think of it is it's kind of a, a coming together that happened. I, I'd, I'd say in the mid-90s it sort of had its birth as a, as a distinct genre, but taking the kind of punk music mentality and things that was sort of the original punk from the 70s and then through the sort of 80s and early 90s kind of punk stuff the sort of american punk scene 
but which had a very political kind of slant to it originally mm-hmm. in terms of lyrical and that sort of thing and very sort of angsty and lots yeah, of different okay. subjects there which i'm sure we'll explore but then took out the politics completely and replaced that with very broad teenage emotional subject matter which by definition opened it up to a whole new audience a much younger audience this kind of indie rock kind of sound this this distorted guitar driven sound and capitalized on this sort of angst that you had from grunge but again almost softened it by making it more accessible and less kind of screaming and howling to i'm really sad because i'm a teenager and i maybe read a bit of nietzsche on the side i'm quite (laughs) intelligent but i don't really understand it but i know i'm feeling angsty and sad about something i would say one of the sort of first bands that really captured this sound was band, the american band weezer everyone remembers weezer of our sort of generation because they had the song buddy holly which came free on windows 95 and so everyone was exposed to this video that mocked happy days the song buddy holly and kind of preppy look and this band of kind of clever school kids singing songs that sounded uplifting and positive but lyrically were about sad things about you know the world has turned and left me here or only in dreams do i get to see the people i love and all that sort of thing so i had this sort of dyna- this sort of dichotomy in the lyrics and the sound between What's a sort of uplifting poppy sound and that's something that. we talked about about before not in terms of pop but in in mm-hmm. the episode when i was talking to claude depper about Conga, mm-hmm. uh where he was talking about it, it being a music of of oppression in lots of ways but it's that you would never know that by listening to the kind of jaunty mm-hmm. riffs and yeah. uh, you know kind of happy melodies and i find that really interesting with yeah, with emo pop and a lot of kind of indie indie genres have that quite sort of jangly uplifting sound but then also like lyrically pretty dark and or pretty yeah. yeah and i think i think one of the other things is that teenage angst feeling but it being not so extreme it's mm-hmm. not the becoming a goth or getting into death metal or something like you've talked about in previous episodes it's not being that alienated being a the, the audience for this are pretty high functioning people who are probably getting decent enough grades at school but still feeling a little bit outcast or a little mm-hmm, bit sad mm-hmm. there's a music for them which encapsulates this without them without you having to go too far off the rails mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. i mean i'd say that i think that that sort of era was the start but it's not really emo pop at that point it's still rock it's still indie and where i think the genre as i would place it really boomed would be early 2000s with there was a sort of emergence of bands uh, very american driven bands like jimmy world bleed um, all american who had bleed american a big album in 2001 all american rejects saves the day and then weezer who came back with their no, fourth album then which was uh their self-titled green album which was very much fitted within this genre really polished kind of sound mm-hmm. um and that's when this sort of music suddenly went mainstream mm-hmm. i would say or mtv2 mainstream there's a song that i'd recommend anyone listens to which i think encapsulates this perfectly this genre by a band called saves the day a song called at your funeral and if you watched mtv2 circa 2001 2002 that song was on pretty much every hour mm. and it's got all the ingredients of the genre i always think of it as like appealing to a a 15 year old in some midwest's high school who's feeling a bit outcast but is also getting decent grades and wants to rebel a little bit and go into a room and listen to some heavy music but it's not that heavy Mm -hmm. and 
can really engage with it. Going through the history, my timeline anyway, I think then it really, this genre reaches its zenith and its peak in that sort of second half, sort of mid to second half of the 2000s. And really my, I would say most people would say the lead act in emo pop is probably My Chemical Romance, Mm -hmm. where they took this format, this style, this fashion, the whole look and feel, pushed it to another level in terms of theatricality and production standards and the music videos were big and everything was slightly taken to another level and became really mainstream like that teenagers every teenage every school in america at that time would have had a sort of tribe of people Mm. wearing like a romance t-shirts with their uh you know nails painted black but they're not the goths they're not that they're very it's a very sort of distinct sort of pg version of being into extreme music and i think that's i think that's probably more of a unifying thing about this genre than the sound in a lot of ways Mm, which i think it really at that period in that 2000s period it was suddenly you know i go i went to gigs by these bands in the 2000s and everyone all of the fans that were there looked the same there is a very much a uniform. The girls wearing fingerless gloves and right. torn fishnets and a, ba- a black band T-shirt with colourful eye, eye li- thick eyeliner and eyeshadow and dark colours. But it's sort of like, again, like I say, it's sort of a bit edgy, but it's not that edgy. They're not yeah. getting tattoos all over them, their faces. It's yeah. an edginess that by the time they're 18 or 19, they definitely, the majority have grown out of it. And it's a a phase. It's, again, reflected so much in the lyrics of these Mm -hmm. songs, Mm -hmm. sort of subject matter, which is all very angsty drama. I don't know if you'd fall into the category to a lot of people, but I'd say a poster girl would be early era Avril Lavigne. Mm -hmm. If you can imagine that, what she looks like, it's that kind of look. That, yeah, then, sure. But it's like the people that would go, oh, I don't like Avril Lavigne, or might have liked Avril Lavigne when they were 13, and then yeah. they mature to get start liking My Chemical Romance and Panic at the Disco and that I sort see. of thing. Yeah. But there is that emphasis, though, on it being accessible and poppy, yeah. which yeah, yeah. I think because emo and that sort of scene, they're in the late 90s, sort of diverged in lots of different ways, as is always the way, this sort of thing. So there's a totally different end of emo that is probably quite a lot more niche, but people refer to as Midwest emo. Total opposite at the same time was stuff that was going on in the UK, like the Arctic Monkeys and things, who were singing about, I went to the chip shop, I got in a fight with a man at the chip shop, and it's really prosaic and beautiful in its own way. This is, one day we will all die, one day it'll all be over, but we can swing back, and as long as you're by my side, but you're not, because my diary is not saying the thing. You know, it's all like, oh, (laughs) drama. It's intangible drama, but... Okay, that's great. <laughs> if you've got time, you're going to try and put some guitar and maybe some vocals down. Is that right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. That would be that would be great. So I just sent you some some drums, and yeah. again, we don't. I mean, it's not a particularly unusual sound for the drums. It's kind of fairly standard rock drumming, right? So like quite quite heavy, but not super heavy. Not like you know the blast beats on the last episode where it's exactly like, no. <laughs> you know, it's it's, bit... The drums are very standard. I would say we're talking pop, and these are yeah. songs generally the melodies and structures of the songs and the thing you could if you take took out change the instrumentation completely this could be a pop song you know going back to what i said about sort of learning to play guitar to this sort of music one of my one of the ways that i learned to play guitar properly was 
I got the the first Weezer album in 1995, so I would have been 14, 15. Until then, I didn't realise there was such a thing, what, what I'd call a power chord, or like it's a sort of bar chord, but it doesn't have all the notes. So essentially, you're just playing the three notes on the guitar, moving that shape up and down the neck of the guitar, meaning you can play every sort of basic chord. Yeah. And it's really easy, which means yeah. it's really accessible when you're young or when you're in a band or you're not sort of that proficient or no training. And that is really at the basis of all of the songs in this genre, that are the big songs. It's like those power chords being played either with, with distortion on them, a bit of overdrive distortion, which just means it's a fuzzy sort of heavy sound, but it's a bit of chugging, which is yeah. what I call it, which is palm muting, where you rest your hand on the string. Right. So it's, it's like... Doo, 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 you probably have then a lot of in the chorus that gives you that kind of wall of distortion noise. Yeah. Then the other thing that is this sort of a jerkiness to it. So you'll sort of get the guitars sort of playing simple chord structures, just going round and round in the same pattern over and over again, but sort of going so it's sort of like on staccato kind of blasts of the of the guitar. When yeah. you put it all together with the drums, it just sort of sounds quite melodic really yeah i think but so, so just to yeah. briefly explain the uh power chords as you say wh- one mm. of the things about them we haven't really covered in the show yet we will do soon but the difference between major and minor chords right mm. people will have will be aware of major and minor and, and the different sounds but basically power chords i'm right in saying there's no third note right and it's the third note in the chord that yeah. makes it major or minor so That's a flat exactly. third or a major third and there's no third note in those so they're quite open the melody can kind of be fairly free with where it goes over the top yeah and it also and i'd say as well because generally the the lineup of the bands of this sort of genre would be uh, probably normally it'd be two guitars bass and drums yeah and the bass will essentially be playing the same root note so actually if you most of the, i mean they'll do a bit of walking around and around it in between them but it is so so basic mm-hmm. and then it means that there's really it's really just just a few notes being repeated like yeah. over and over again there's no no difficult harmonies in the music then sometimes the lead guitar will put in different bits and obviously they build it up and it gets complicated but the other thing that's a real genre defining element is is the vocals Mm -hmm. and i think generally it's an american accent you can hear the american accent just because of the bands that do it and it's got a bit of a whiny quality to it it's got a bit of a broken they'll be like sometimes they'll strain a little bit and they'll go a bit broken and then there'll be lots of oohs and ahs and harmonies that's another big when the chorus comes in, often it'll be like someone saying something like dramatic, singing about themselves dying, but there'll be someone else in the background going, Ooh. so it's got that kind of poppy Beach Boysy kind of influence there somewhere. Yeah, I see, I see, it I see. Lifts it a little bit, and yeah, you've got you've got something to promote before we finish. I have, I've got something to plug. Thank yeah, you. you've got an amazing thing to plug. Yeah, as a bit of a project, this uh, last Christmas, I had this realisation that there, I didn't really think there'd been any decent Christmas songs for years. So I set a, myself a little mission to try and unpick what goes into a classic Christmas song in terms of the sort of ingredients, very along the, probably inspired by knowing you, Steve, and wanting to <laughs> dissect music. Um, so I set about trying to write some Christmas songs through the year and that have all those sort of ingredients. And I've got a 
Christmas EP out that I'm trying to promote and trying to get people to uh, people to listen to. So you can find This Is Our Christmas is the name of the EP, and it's got three songs. It features a little bit of trumpet by someone you might know on there. <laughs> and um, there's lathered with soppy Christmas lyrics, sleigh bells, um, my kids' toys that I've nicked from the house, playing little diamonds and things. And, um, yeah, you can find them. It's uh, This Is Our Christmas, and my name on Spotify and Amazon and Apple is LK Francis. So absolutely love people to give it a listen, stick it on your playlist, and, and let me know if you think I've nailed the brief that I set myself. It's great. I think you definitely have. As well as writing the songs and trying to do this Christmas thing, I also wanted to experiment on how do you release a Christmas song? What mm. do you do? I don't know anything about it. And I spoke to a few people I know in that world and they were like, oh, you've got to release it in early November. And I was like, what? So I've been like Christmas up to the max. <laughs> you know, I've become yeah. that awful thing of an early Christmas advocate. Thanks a lot, man. That was, that was really uh, brilliant. That's really helpful. Thank you. And uh, Thank you. I look forward to uh, listening to more episodes of the podcast. There we go. Thanks very much. And here's the song that Lawrence put together. I mean, it's, it blows my mind. When we talked about it, I, you know, I sent him some drums and I thought, oh, if you've got time, it would be great if, you know, if you're able to do some basic vocals or guitar or, you know, whatever you can do. And sure enough, two days later, he came back with a full emo pop track um, with the lyrics written by ChatGPT. So I think it's very entertaining lyrics by ChatGPT here. Um, yeah. So enjoy the lyrics. Enjoy the song. This is by Lawrence K. Francis. Do check out his Christmas EP. It's really great. I know I'm biased, but it really is. So here we go. We've cried a symphony of heartache plays On the edge of despair in a world that doesn't care In the darkness where our hope decays There's a sea of shattered dreams The echoes of our silent screams I lay black roses at your feet As the congregation weeps on the day Sky as we ask ourselves why emotion spins in a carnival of sins. Ghosts yesterday are mind in the wreckage that binds a lullaby as we spread our wings and fly. I lay black roses at your feet as the congregation. Thanks once again to Lawrence. I mean, honestly, above and beyond that guy making that whole track 
just for this podcast. Thank you, thank you. Um, right, the time has come to choose the genre for next episode. So I'm putting the list of 1300 genres, musical genres from Wikipedia into the list picker. Pressing go. And what have we got? Oh my, it's Solea. So S-O-L-E-A accent. No idea about that one. So it's going to be a lot of fun discovering what that is. So I think it's time to wrap up the episode and say thank you to all my brilliant guests, the incredible young people from Norway, who you heard from, from up in Buda, and of course the North Norway Jazz Centre uh, for having me and Ed and Ollie up there towards the Arctic working with these brilliant people. And uh, who else is there to thank? Uh, Lawrence Francis, of course, LK Francis on all the streaming platforms. Do go and check out his fantastic Christmas EP, get you in the festive spirit. It's already doing really well. Angelique Kidjo and the Hackney Colliery Band for the theme song. Right, I think that's about it. But before I go, I have one last thing to ask of you in this episode, and that is that I have just started a Patreon. And for those of you who don't know, Patreon is a way that you can help support the show by giving me a little bit of money. So it's five US dollars per month. It's an American service, so it's in dollars. And that allows me to help make the show as good as it can be, but also allows you access to a whole bunch of extra stuff. Uh, I'm going to put up the unedited interviews with a lot of my guests. I've had some absolutely incredible, inspiring chats, really fascinating chats with people like Andrew O'Neill, last episode, Claude Depper, Valeria Clark, The Harpist, Tamar Osborne, all sorts of fantastic people. And we have a lot of very exciting guests coming up, some quite big names coming up. So those interviews will be going out unedited. Uh, believe it or not, I do edit the interviews down a lot for this show. Um, often some of the chats last an hour, two hours sometimes. So I edit them down to 10 or 15 minutes for this show. But I really, it's a shame to miss out on a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about because um, my guests have been fascinating. So I would like to share that with you in exchange for a little bit of money. I will also be putting up all of the music that I make for the show or that my guests make for the show uh, in full so that you can download that music if you like it um, and listen at your leisure uh, and all sorts of other things other benefits like ticket discounts i'll be announcing gigs for things like hackney colliery band here before anywhere else yeah and all manner of things that i haven't even dreamed of yet it's going to be a real hub for people who like this show like what it's doing and maybe want to dig a bit deeper and explore a bit more so please go to www.originofthepieces.com originofthepieces.com or you can go to my website steveprity.com uh, or just Patreon, you can find it's Steve Pretty on the Origin of the Pieces. And you can sign up there, $5 a month, and it will really help me to make this show as good as it can be. A reminder that I am appearing at Wilton's Music Hall in a special live podcast recording slash gig. Um, we've got a very exciting announcement to make about that. I will save that for next time but that is the 20th of January 2024 so if you're able to make that please do there's already some brilliant guests we have Valeria uh, on harp we have my friend Chris Lintot who presents the sky at night on BBC um, we're going to be talking about astronomy and music and we have the, some of the guys from Hackney Colliery Band we're going to be premiering some new work and uh, reworking some old classics plus this very special guest or should I say guests little tease there i will announce more next time meanwhile thank you so much once again for listening we are back in two weeks time so that is going to be the 14th of december i imagine there's going to be some christmas stuff going on in that episode kind of has to be doesn't there so there'll be a few little christmas bits and bobs there meanwhile thanks again and catch you next time bye
bye.